right, here we go. Another episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. Uh, we're like a day. I feel like every week we like push back the podcast by a day uh, to accommodate our schedule. So this week, what we're going to try to do is uh, right now it's Sunday night. This will go up uh, on iTunes and everything. It'll be distributed tonight. And then we're going to try to do another one on Thursday to actually technically do two podcasts in one week to kind of give you a little bit of a sample of what football is. Everyone's doing football previews, right? And so we're going to preview what the podcast will be like during football season because we will have a post-game podcast after every game, and then we'll have a pre-game podcast. So it'll be one of the nights before Oklahoma plays. So just, I mean, just trying out different formats, trying out different things. But I'm Matt, along with Rich DeCray. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Uh, huge thanks to everyone who listens. Um, we probably haven't done enough of this, Rich, but uh, uh, thanks to the uh, Overtime Media Network for for picking up our podcast and running with it. Um, and it's just um, every Justin and everybody there has been awesome to work with. Um, we want to jump into a couple of things to talk about tonight. This will be one of the shorter versions of the podcast, but Oklahoma – you know they're they're a top five team. the the um, The preseason poll doesn't come out for another another couple of weeks. The top the AP top twenty five and and I've I, you know like I, I've got my I, I like the AP top twenty five a lot better than I like the coaches poll. Uh, but really uh, that playoff committee poll it's it's just gotten to where I feel like the 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 college football playoff poll which won't be until the season's almost halfway over with. But I've gotten to where the the college football playoff poll it. Um, to me, that's where all the weight is, and it cheapens the AP and the coaches. The coaches' poll has always been the good old boy system, you know. I, I that, that's why Texas is always a a coaches' poll top twenty-five, which I do believe that they deserve it this year. I, I believe Texas deserves to be a preseason top twenty-five, but I, I feel like Texas in years past has been a beneficiary of the um, of hey, all these coaches know Mac Brown and. And then you know you have you have the coaching change and uh, well everybody I mean I just I don't know it's just I don't know I, I which poll do you like I I, I just I guess I'm I, it, Matt, the truth first of all time out I'm I'm gonna break this down in segments because I know I'm rambling okay two and a half minutes worth of rambling right now but let me I'm gonna ask you these questions do you believe that the 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 college football playoff rankings which isn't really a poll it's a rankings the college football playoff rankings when they come out. Does that cheapen, in your opinion, the AP and the coaches' poll? I absolutely believe so. And and the reasoning comes from this is the college football playoff poll or committee that, that releases the rankings. Rankings. The rankings. The, the, the rankings. They are the ones who officially decide who's going to be competing for the national championship. And regardless of who the AP puts at number one, regardless of who the AP puts at number two, Regardless of who the coaches poll puts in those same positions, they're not the ones being handed that trophy that has the college football playoff logo, graphic, insignia. It's not the trophy um, or it's not the team being handed that trophy. Like I said, and I know that they can disagree. I know that they I feel like they have disagreed once already with the college football playoff. And I don't feel like it's going to be the first time that, or the last time that they'll disagree. So does it cheapen it in short? 
Absolutely, I believe so, because there's only one ranking or system that matters, and that is the college football playoff, because ultimately it decides who are those four teams that will compete after everybody else has kind of written themselves out of the equation. Who are the four teams left standing? And and the college football playoff committee is the ones who decide that. Well, and without defined criteria, you're always going to have people disagree. You know, um, two years ago, should Georgia and Alabama have both been in there? Well, Georgia definitely should have been. But the thing was, Alabama did. Alabama didn't deserve. They they should not have been in there. And Alabama not only did they end up making it, but they ended up going and winning the whole thing. And when you're arguing that, well, this team didn't even win their conference, so they shouldn't be in the playoffs, but then they go off and they win the whole thing. It's, it's, an, ca- it's an Ohio State situation. It's kind of hard. Yeah, it's kind of hard to argue when when they go off and they, and they win everything. But as long as as long as there is not a defined, like for example, the NFL. You know, you've got uh, you've got the the three division winners that they're in. You know, or I guess four division winners now, and and I remember back in the good old days when it was three. But you got your four division winners that are in, and then you got your two wild cards. The wild cards are based off of of rankings and a system of a, of records and a system of tiebreakers, and so you can figure it out. You you know how you get in the playoffs and how you don't get in the playoffs in the NFL. There is nothing like that for college football, and so as long as as long as there is no defined criteria, then you there's going to be people who disagree. Well, but, but here's the thing. Though. Here's where I'm getting at. It, it, it's better, though. Well, it's not perfect. I think it needs to expand at least to eight. I would love for it to be 16, but I think it needs to expand to at least to eight. But what it's better than the BCS because arguing over number four, should, should Alabama have been in, arguing over number four and arguing over number two, night and day difference. And here's the thing that's, that's really cool is – the number one seed has never won the college football playoff. So that that's pretty interesting as well. Yeah, I will say this is um, I was going to ask you the question of if we were going to set some criteria, what would you like to see included in it? And I think we're going to see an overwhelming majority of people. If you were to ask this question on the street, you would see an overwhelming majority of people say, Conference champions first and foremost. I agree. And, and I know that that's the first goal for any team, for any program that's competing on the collegiate circuit, on that uh, Division One specifically, on the Division One level. The first goal of each team, of FBS, each coach. By the way, Division One is dead. Whatever, it's all the same to me. <laughs> is to win that conference championship. Because that's what propels you mm-hmm. to these other conversations. But see, so okay. I, I think, like I said, an overwhelming majority of people would say conference championship. And you are saying power five on that. Right. And there's the problem. Right. But here's the other. The thing with the BCS now was that with two teams included, there were years and many more potential years to go into that conversation with more than two undefeated teams. Well, yeah, but and, but the BCS. Here's the thing: the 2000 Oklahoma team was the 2017 Alabama team. Oklahoma was the team people said didn't deserve either. It was like it should be Florida State and Miami. If you, I know you're just you were 
what in diapers in 2000 but what no, not quite. <laughs> um, but everyone's talking about it should have been florida state and miami oklahoma didn't deserve to be there same argument you had for alabama a year ago um but they go and they win it all and, and when you win it all you can't argue none of the argument is well florida state shouldn't have been there or, or whatever um but it's better than what it was. I mean, it really is better than what... Again, you're arguing number four as opposed to number two. And even arguing number three is better than arguing number two. I don't I don't think... I don't think we've yet had a college football playoff where the two best teams in the country were not included. Maybe they weren't ranked number one and number two, but I truly feel like last year, for example, 100% agree. I feel like... Clemson and Alabama were the two best teams in college football last year. Okay. I mean, I do. Um, I mean, I, 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 I mean, I. So when you're getting four and you, you've got the two best teams in there, they're going to find each other. The problem with, and I agree, I think there should be a criteria, and that criteria should include a a conference championship. But when you've got the Pac-12, Pac-10, ACC, Big 12, SEC, and only four spots. Which conference champions is being left out if all things are equal? If they all have one loss, if you got five undefeated conference champions, how? Do, and again, that criteria gets a little bit crazy. So I think from there you have to have sub levels of criteria because let's be honest with you, with this whole situation, is that the Pac-12 right now is on the, when, when you when you when you weigh the, the the five you know power five conferences, Pac-12 is on the outside looking in as far as the up and down strength of the conference. Everyone thought it would be the Big 12, but it's it's the Pac-12. And so I didn't really I didn't really um, intend to spend 10 minutes talking about this, but we did. We're going to jump into our first break. I, I have another follow-up question about this, and then we're going to get into Oklahoma football players who could be flying under the radar uh, going into the 2019 college football season. He's Rich Amal. You're listening to Sooner Nation, the online podcast for Heartland Sports. Heartland-sports.com is where you can find us on the web. All right, so Rich, I, I want to get to the second part of my conversation uh, from my first two and a half minutes of rambling of this podcast. Uh, Texas, year in and year out, they're ranked by the coaches' poll because of, of the good old boy system. They're ranked by the coaches' poll year in and year out in the top 25. I believe this year, coming off a Sugar Bowl win, I, I mean, I, I'm not a Tom Herman fan. Y'all, I, I, you will never find me on the Tom Herman fan club list, not just because he's Texas, but wherever he goes after Texas – I'm not going to like him, you know. All that said, coming off a Sugar Bowl win over Georgia, I think they should be top 25. I I don't disagree with top 25. Now, if you wanted to narrow that list and not say top 25, but pushing up into 15 or 10 or 5, I, I think that's where the conversation really happens for Texas because the way that they played last season um, showed that they are on this upward trajectory, upward big swing. Words. Big words. Yeah, big that, words. that one's going to just escape. Trajectory is the Thank word you, yeah. you were looking so for. So they're on this upward trend, this upward swing at the moment, but I think it's a culmination of things in that you have to look at the defense. Are they producing turnovers? Texas was a team that did that, especially in some of the bigger moments of their season. It helped them get a few of those wins last year. 
you look at the Sugar Bowl win, as you've mentioned, Sugar Bowl, mm-hmm. Sugar Bowl win over Georgia, and I know that Georgia fans, as well as those who surround the university and program, want to downplay that. That's the battle cry of the SEC. It, it is. doesn't matter. It the battle, is. I know. Anytime the SEC loses, it always because of the game. I it said, didn't matter. I said, I'm not buying it because that's still a big time bowl game mm-hmm. to be a part of, and that's still some proving grounds where you can. Of course, everyone's recruiting in the state of Texas. So why would you not want to go out? This side tangent now. Why would you not want to go out and show the favored team in that state that you're actually better than them? Show their recruits Mm -hmm. that you have something to offer that Texas doesn't. I'm not buying that argument. That's a moot point at this point in time. But the reality for me is Texas is absolutely deserving of a top 25 ranking. I would even venture to say that they're worthy of a a top 15, if not a fringe top 10 for me right now. Okay. uh, I I want to tell you something, but I need to ask you this question. Uh, Sugar Bowl, were uh, were you pulling for Texas for Big 12? Pride, or was it uh, you just hate Texas so much you can't cheer for them? Well, here's the thing for me is it, it was twofold. Yes, Big 12 pride. I I don't care if Texas wins or loses, but I do want the Big 12 to be represented well, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two is Georgia beat Oklahoma out of the college football playoff. And so, yes, I wanted to see Georgia lose. Like I said, it's twofold. Here's a Big 12 team vying for national recognition, not only for themselves, but also for the conference, as well as the team that handed your team, the Oklahoma Sooners, their final loss of the season the year before. So was I rooting for Texas? No. Was I rooting against Georgia? Yes. All right, let me tell you this. I, I have a really good friend of mine who's a huge Georgia Bulldogs fan. We made a bet over that uh, that Rose Bowl, and um, needless to say, I lost. And so part of the bet was me receiving a Georgia Bulldogs T-shirt. And I the, the deal was whoever, whoever won that game, the other person would cheer for in the national championship. So I cheered for Georgia in the national championship against Alabama. They lost. But I also want you to know, I wore that Georgia Bulldogs shirt again when Texas played Georgia in the Sugar Bowl because I, I don't care. I'll cheer for the Big 12 across the board except for Texas. So I was all Team Georgia. But here's the thing. It, Georgia Bulldog fans may not appreciate knowing this is that I'm over for 2 <laughs> and cheering for the Georgia Bulldogs. And so two times in my life that I can remember cheering for Georgia, they've lost. So – Maybe I'm I'm not that guy that needs to be uh, on the Georgia Bulldogs bandwagon. Um, Texas, I believe, is a top ten team to start the season. I, I believe that they're they're top. They they are somewhere between six and ten uh, to start the season. I hope they're going to tell you they deserve to be top five. I hope they are top five because I really think they're losing to LSU. Um, I think I think that's an L for Texas. And hey, man, prop them up so they can fall. I, I really hate Texas. I have issues. Um, I have I have there there's you know the horns down thing and then the 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 rant I went on last week uh, about you know proving that the program is soft. I have issues. I might need to seek counseling because there is legitimate blood boiling hatred in my body for all things burnt orange. He's Rich. I'm Matt. You're listening to Sooner Nation, the online podcast for Heartland Sports, Heartland-Sports.com. Okay, welcome back to the Sooner Nation podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland, at Sports Heartland on Twitter. Um, let's let's use the second half of the podcast to talk about some players who might be flying under the radar. You, you've got guys like C.D. Lamb, Grant Calcaterra, Jalen Hurts, 
they're all on these preseason award watch lists. Um, Kenneth Murray is on, on a, a couple preseason award watch lists. Neville Gallimore is on a couple award watch lists. But let, let's let's talk about um, a couple of players. What, what you want to start with, offense or defense? Offense. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. <laughs> and let's start with a couple of players who could be flying under the radar when it comes to these preseason awards and really their overall impact that they're going to have on the football field this year. And you know, right now the preseason, you know, all Big 12 is out. Their names are not on that, but it could be by the end of the year. Okay, so that, that's going to take the obvious guys off. You know, it's going to – Kenneth Murray can't be picked. Jalen Hurts can't be picked. Grant Calicatera can't be picked. CeeDee Lamb can't be picked. Now, I do believe a little bit of a – you kind of a precursor out here. I do believe it's possible that Jalen Hurts is a little bit under the radar just because the guy hasn't played. And, you know, he got replaced in a national championship game against Georgia. He was the backup last year, um, came in and saved the day in the, in the SEC uh, championship game again against Georgia. Um, but he's a, he's an under the radar guy. Um, you know, he's not all Big 12. He's a Big 12 offensive player of the year, but that, that all Big 12 quarterback preseason went to Sam Ellinger. I, so for those principles, I think you can make an argument Jalen Hurts under the radar, but he's not going to be on our list. So do you, do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? Take it away, man. All right, so you, you can do it. I, I can go first. All right, mm-hmm. thank you. Uh, typically, I let you uh, take off. But, you're uh, older. I was in diapers, uh, remember? Yeah, yeah, 2000, you were in diapers. Um, okay, so my, my first guy I'm going to go with is uh, wide receiver. And um, it's Charleston Rambo. That's that's my my first guy. I I, I think when you when you look at uh, I, th- I think C.D. Lamb and Grant Calcaterra are the two receivers that obviously are getting all the preseason hype. But I mean, this kid showed filling in for Marquise Brown in that Orange Bowl game. He he was highly recruited, highly talented. Um, you kind of knew what his potential was. You saw flashes of that potential in the Orange Bowl. Um, I think he's going to enter the season at best as the third option, but as good as CeeDee Lamb and Grant Calcaterra are, he's going to get looked to a lot because Calcaterra and Lamb are going to draw a lot of attention from defensive secondaries. And it's going to be, you're going to see, I think you're going to see Rambo, that guy in motion, uh, the, the receiver that comes in motion. Um, you're going to see him in the slot. You're going to see him out wide. You're going to see him all over the field because with his speed, he's going to become a mismatch for somebody. And, you know, in, in Lincoln Riley's offense, you want to find that hot guy, the guy that's in that. And Lincoln Riley is so good at exploiting that one-on-one matchup. He, they kind of know, looking out there, who's going to have that one-on-one. And I think it's going to be Rambo a whole lot. So he's my first guy under the radar. Yeah, I think you could easily look at wide receivers as well as the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Because of the ability, the coaching ability of Bill Biedenbaugh. Needless to say, Biedenbaugh. Sure. Needless to say, I am... Also taking a wide receiver. Okay. Um, initially, I had thought about a guy like Lee Morris because of the the touchdown receptions that he's had throughout his career. The kid seems to be in the right spot at the right time, and the quarterback taking makes, advantage of the mismatch makes that, that throw. That's Lincoln Riley's so good. But at here's that. here's where I'm going with is is I believe yes, you've said all the focus will be elsewhere, and so we're looking for that that other candidate, and I'm. I'm going to go with a freshman here um, because I think there's a lot of potential, especially for a guy like Hazelwood, Jaden Hazelwood, who showed up on campus mm-hmm. early, got some reps throughout the spring into the summer. Now heading into the fall, he's one of those 
I don't want to label him as a generational talent just yet, but he has the makings of a generational talent where I believe he's one of the guys that's just impossible to keep off of the field of this this incoming class, and we see him have a bigger impact than what we may have initially expected even out of him, despite that five-star ranking. Okay, so you're going with Hazelwood. That's right. Okay, so my second guy, I am going to the offensive line because, again, um, you, you look at Creed Humphrey. You know Creed Humphrey is going to be a starter. I, I think um, I, I think, I think Bow has an idea of who his five are. Um, and one guy that I'm going to say is uh, flying under the radar because he's transferring in, that's R.J. Proctor. And you know me, I've been, I've been super high on R.J. Proctor since – he announced he was leaving uh, Virginia. I, I was like, I, I wrote an article about him. Um, he, he, the talent he has uh, was rated as Virginia's top offensive lineman in their bowl win. I believe it was the Belk Bowl that they went to. Um, I think this kid is going to be a solid option, a one-year option, a plug-and-play guy on Bill Bedenboe's offensive line, and I think he's going to be a star. Um, I think Creed Humphrey clearly is the anchor of that line. Obviously, he's not eligible for this conversation because he was on the All Big 12 team preseason. Um, I think there's a, a very solid chance that we're seeing uh, Creed Humphrey's last year um, at the University of Oklahoma. He's going to be eligible to come out as a redshirt sophomore next year to the NFL draft. But R.J. Proctor came to the University of Oklahoma so that he could improve his draft stock, and I think he does that, and he does that very well. He's my second guy. He's my second guy under the radar. On my side of the equation, I'm just piggybacking you. Yeah, you're following me around the field. That's essentially what's happening here because I had mentioned the offensive line previously. You went for him. I'm going to go for him as well. And look at a guy who came in as one of the top recruits of his own class in Bray Walker, knowing that the offensive linemen generally take a little bit of development before we see them step onto the field. Bray Walker found himself in that situation with the talent that he possesses being not that it's because he's a hometown kid, but I know he's got a lot of people who would like to see him play. I'm one of those. Mm -hmm. And I think that if he develops into who we think he can become, he can be a guy who makes a significant impact along this offensive line. But the reality, Matt, you and I having a conversation elsewhere is that this is that make it or, or break it year for a lot of these guys along the offensive line. I know that you've mentioned they've taken in a transfer in RJ Proctor. That's the possibility for the remainder of Lincoln Riley's tenure at the University of Oklahoma. Well, it's a possibility for the remainder of Bill Beaton to boast. This tenure. is true. I mean, that's, and this that's the true. thing with, with Bray Walker. I, I, I've known him for a long time. Um, you know, he, you know this. He played junior high ball uh, with my son. Um, he super, super talented. He's got all the potential in the world. But it could be uh, – you're talking about make or break. You know, this is the year where these guys, they get on the field or they don't in this in this moment because it, the talent level right now under Bill Bedenboe is doing nothing but getting deeper. Mm-hmm. Critical year for a guy like Bray Walker. I would be shocked if he's not playing. I, I think that's a, another good one uh, to have on, on your list. Um, and, and I count me down as a Bray Walker fan. Uh, the thing is, here's just the thing, is that there are so many options that Bill Bedenboe has along this line that honestly, I mean, I, why I said I would be shocked if Bray Walker doesn't play, I'm picking R.J. Proctor as my under-the-radar type of guy. The truth is, I think you can make an argument that neither one of those guys plays 
as well just because of how much talent is there. Now, we're expecting those two guys to be in the starting five when it's all said and done. But there is, there is no shortage of talent with these, with these uh, offensive linemen that Bill Beanbow is currently working with. He's Rich. I'm Matt. You're listening to Sooner Nation, the online, Heart, the online Heartland, the online podcast for Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. We'll go to the defensive side of the ball right after this. All right, then. Well, here we go. Home stretch of, of this podcast. Uh, defensive side of the ball. Two players who could be flying under the radar. Here's the problem, Rich, with this side of the ball. Is you know we, we talk about on the offensive side of the ball we we don't know really who are all five offensive line starters we don't know who the eleven defensive starters are going to be at this point I mean it's it's every man you know for themselves right now uh, as they're going through summer workouts and then once uh, camp opens up here in in a couple weeks I mean you've got the comp it'll be a fierce competition for playing time. Um, I've got some ideas of guys I think might be flying under the radar, but the reality is I'm not 100% sure. I mean, outside of, you know, Caleb Kelly, the injury, I think he would have been a, a definite starter. Outside of Ke- Kenneth Murray and Neville Gallimore, can you tell me one guy that you know is going to start on this defense? I mean, Radio it, silence, man. I mean, I was just saying, you, you know there are guys that are good and guys that, um, guys that have, have uh, potential. But, I mean, my gosh, how do you know? Look at that secondary. There, there's not a lack of options in the secondary, but you got to pick, you know, four or five of them to depend if you throw the nickel in there or not. Look at the linebackers. I mean, it's just it's crazy to me. So I want to say a guy like Marquise Overton. You know, I, I don't know that he's going to be a starter or not, but I think Marquise is going to – this is a big year for him. Um, so, you know, there, there's guys out there that have potential – but, man, I, if you're making me put money down whether this guy's a starter or not, whew, I don't know, man. That, that's a tough bet to make right there. So, that said, give me your first defensive guy that could be flying under the radar. Yeah, I'm going to go with the two areas who have more to prove than the third one, just in my personal okay. opinion. And that's going to be in the secondary. So when I'm when I'm looking at the secondary here, the first guy who who really pops off the list for me specifically is the guy Trey Brown. Now he stepped in as a freshman, earned some playing time, has really become a part of this defense. I think he's got a lot of potential, but he's also got guys who are below him with the the, mm-hmm. the regime change, if you will, in the coaching staff where nothing's going to be guaranteed. And so these guys are going to have to work for their their playing time, for that starting job. And, and I think Trey Brown is one of the guys who has that work ethic to where he's going to consistently get better. He's going to relish in the opportunity. And he's made some big plays in the past. So we know that he has that kind of potential. Yeah, ask Sam Ellinger about big plays. Yeah, we know he has that kind of capability. So when you combine that, not only... See, I'm sorry. There goes my hatred for Texas again. I, know, I just right. got to throw that in there. My bad. You combine it with not only the fact that he started at, or at least earned playing time as a true freshman, started as a sophomore. He's now an upperclassman, so the experience is there, but it's that raw talent that still exists mm-hmm. or that he still embodies. Can someone actually harness that talent and turn it into one of the better cornerbacks or defensive backs not only in the co- the conference but in the country i think we're seeing that we'll see this transformation i think we'll see him really begin to 
identify himself as the leader of this secondary specifically. Okay, I'll go for that. Um, my first guy is in the linebacking core. I think that the Caleb Kelly injury really opens up a door for this guy. I'm going with sophomore linebacker Deshaun White. Um, again, a guy who's been on campus. Uh, everybody talks about potential and, and talent. Kind of was paying his dues, buying his time. I don't think uh, with that, with without the Caleb Kelly injury, I don't think he plays a significant role in this defense, but with Caleb Kelly likely to miss all of the season or the majority of the season, I think it really opens the door for a guy like Deshaun White. He's fast. He's got a good frame on him. Um, he's, he's. I mean, you know, they, they want guys who can strip the ball. They want guys who can be sure tacklers. I think Deshaun White has shown potential to be that guy. When you look at his high school film, you look at the, the fact he's you know through one full year on campus. Um, that's my dude right now that I'm saying under the radar. I think not only does he earn a spot on this defensive uh, front seven, I think he becomes a, a consistent player on this defensive front seven to where now, and maybe not everybody right now knows the name Deshaun White. I think uh, they they will they will know it. It'll be a household name. Kid has the potential to be as this whole defense is trying to turn itself around. He has the potential. He's young, just a sophomore. I think he has the potential to be a Travis Lewis type guy uh, on this defense. So Deshaun White, my uh, my first defensive player under the radar. By the way, I think my second guy is really going to blow your mind. But whatever, I'll give that to you in a second. Give me your second guy. And the second one that I'm going with is because these the. The cornerback that I've already mentioned is going to have to work in tandem Mm -hmm. with the defensive line. And so I did want to focus on that defensive line. Matt, I don't know if you knew this, but ESPN had released um, their position U rankings. Yeah, I saw that. And Oklahoma, despite having some really good defensive linemen over the years, was not ranked. And I think it speaks more to the lack of dominant defensive linemen, guys who are not only can rush along the edge, but guys who are going to cause trouble up the middle Mm -hmm. as well. Oklahoma just hasn't had that guy for some time now. The person who I believe can be that is a guy like Ronnie Perkins. Mm -hmm. Came in with basically limitless potential there, has flashed some of that potential as well but the reality here is it it just hasn't been a season-long culmination of not only his talent but his football knowledge as well it hasn't manifested itself on a consistent enough basis to say that yeah he's going to land on these preseason lists but again if i'm looking at the defensive line and i'm looking specifically for one of the more talented players Perkins is that guy who jumps off the page to me, and he's the guy who I think with a second year in this system could, I guess it's a new system, huh? So first year in a second year, right, system, right. but he can still be that playmaker, wreak a little bit of havoc, make some things happen, and ease the job of this secondary that struggled mightily last year. Okay, um, and I agree with that. Well, you and I have had long talks about how the defensive line affects the coverage ability of the secondary. Uh, my second guy, uh, final guy we're going to talk about here on the podcast, actually comes out of the secondary as well. Um, and it's a guy that I've been super critical of. But my second guy flying under the radar on the defensive side of the ball is the one and only Buki, uh, Red and Redley Hiles. I, I just, here's the thing I feel like I was critical of him, and I feel like it was justifiably critical of him, but I think also he was misused. 
if he's going to be a nickel, if he's going to remain at the nickel, I, I think Grinch is going to use him to what is his more of his natural. He's not a tackler. I mean, let's just be honest. He's not a tackler. Let's go back to Kansas State. Biggest hit he's made of his collegiate career, but he was gone for three weeks after that. He was never right again after that tackle. He's not a guy that says as a, as a nickel or a safety who's just going to come up and Roy Williams style stick you. That's not what he is. But he is a kid who has instincts. And we saw him, we saw him coming on blitzes and miss. But the instinct was there. We saw him break on the ball, but also he's working on coverage. What is Alex Grinch going to focus on with his defense? He wants the ball. He wants takeaways. And Buki may be the most the, the kid on this secondary with the best instincts. And so I'm thinking if if I'm if I'm if I'm Alex Grinch. My conversation with Buki is we're working with you through the summer. We worked with you through the spring. We're working with you through the summer to get you a little bit thicker, to get you a little bit stronger. But really, we want to capitalize on your ball hawk skills. Use those instincts to your benefit. He becomes my ball hawk. I'm putting him in there. You're, 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 taking, your, you're, you're taking your job. You're, you're, your first several steps are backwards. You're reading. If it's, a, if, it's a, um, if it's a run play, you hope someone gets to the ball carrying your first, right? But if it's a pass play, this kid has speed and range and can be that guy who goes uh, Brendan Everett style, for those of you going way back in the top, who just has the, that, that knack of, of taking the ball away. And so Buki, in my opinion – under the radar, if he can be used in that capacity. Thoughts? No, it's it's definitely a good pick, and <laughs> he came in with so much moment, momentum mm-hmm. behind him, so much expectations, and then made some comments and people. I don't know that it was an open thing that pe- that that was being said from people, but I think there was this mindset that maybe he isn't the player that we thought he was and so hearing you say this it's it's kind of turning around there is that talent that exists for him specifically there is that natural instinct that you like out of a guy who's playing in the secondary it's really just finding him the perfect fit in this offense and asking essentially a simplified version of the defense of him specifically because you've mentioned his stature Mm -hmm. i mean he's not gonna any of these OU running backs are coming through a hole. Bookie's not going to stop them. You're right. And <laughs> some of these quarterbacks are going to have that same ability when they take off and run. It's going to be an interesting year. I, I think if we wanted to say there was a make it, break it guy, Bookie's that guy that I'm picking because this is that make it or break it year for him. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for us. Uh, we're going to drop another podcast on Thursday night, trying to do our best to get in uh, get in game shape for uh, for the upcoming season. Uh, thanks to everyone who listens. We'd love to have your feedback. If you got something you want to add to or take away, questions you want to throw at us, you can hit us uh, on email. Uh, Heartland dash, oh, sorry, Heartland underscore sports. Heartland underscore sports underscore sports at yahoo.com or online uh, at heartland-sports.com as well on Twitter at Sports Heartland. We'd love to hear back from you. Have a great week, everybody. Uh, Boomer Sooner.